Presented by the Evangelism Department of the North American Mission Board. This is Your Church on Mission Evangelism Podcast. The podcast to help pastors be on mission in their local community. Here's your host, Joel Sutherland. Welcome to the Your Church on Mission Evangelism Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Sutherland. The third big circle we discovered in top evangelistic churches we called Living on Mission. So just to recap, first big circle, pastors who led on mission. Second big circle, churches that gathered on mission. And now the third big circle, members that were living on mission. That is where members are actively engaging their world, their context with the gospel. There were three legs underneath that. Number one, they were seeking opportunities to share their faith and live on mission in their context. Two, they were sharing and learning to share their faith. And three, they were serving their community, showing and sharing the love of Christ. And that's the one we want to talk about today. When we studied top evangelistic churches, here's some things we discovered. We discovered a high emphasis on serving their community. So here's what we discovered. Churches that ran up to 249 in worship, more than 50% of them said they were involved in community food banks and meeting basic needs. In category two, that would have been churches running 250 to 499 in worship. More than 50% said they were involved in actively serving public schools, community food bank, meeting basic needs, serving the elderly, and serving the homeless and impoverished. Category three, that's churches 500 and above, more than 50% said they were involved in actively serving public schools, community food bank, abuse addiction recovery, meeting basic needs, community transformation, serving the elderly, serving the homeless, and impoverished. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Regardless of size or budget, top evangelistic churches were reaching into the community. So let's take a break, and when we return, we'll be joined by my co-host and hear from one of the leading evangelistic pastors in the nation that is leading out in this area of serving the community. I'm joined today by my co-host, Scott Smith. Scott, how is Compassion Ministries in line with Jesus' model of evangelism? In every way. Uh, I know this has been actually talked about quite a bit around the country for a long, long time, but just looking at it biblically, you know, Jesus often broke the ice with some demonstration of intense compassion. And typically there's no other way to demonstrate intense compassion than meeting a felt real need. And Jesus did that, whether it was a lame man by the pool or whether it was feeding 5,000 uh, that day, which led, by the way, to another question in their minds, uh, where can we get more food, mm-hmm. uh, which was Jesus' opportunity to say, I am the bread. That's where he said that, actually. He said, I'm the bread of life. The day after he fed them with uh, bread, obviously, that only he could supply, multiplying that boy's five loaves and two fishes. So, um, yeah, it's right in line, and uh, Jesus cares about the needs of the community. Obviously, he met those needs uh, in order to uh, give way to a, hearing a greater message. Yeah, and I think that's the point pastors need to hear because there can be sometimes, not as much today, but some controversy around the subject uh, 
Um, but but here's the truth: the reason you're meeting the needs. Number one, you, you Ike Rockard says it best. I don't know if it's his quote, but don't try to be the best church in your community. Be the best church for your community. Mm. There, there is some level where um, you want your church to be missed. You know, if it were to be gone. But you're you you know the ultimate goal is we're trying to lead people to Christ with this, and I think that can get looked over sometimes. Pastors kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater and say, "Well, we're not here to meet needs." But uh, yeah, we're here to meet needs, and we're here to preach the gospel. It's not either or; it's both and in that context. Right. I think it was Adrian Rogers that said, "If we do social gospel and it's all social and no gospel, we're simply making the world a better place to go to hell from." Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, obviously, we know that. It is about the gospel and seeing people come to Christ. Yeah, and sometimes that's a hard, like, so it's easier said than done, right? I mean, it is it is easy to do compassion ministries. It is a little more difficult to do compassion ministries and share the gospel uh, because some of the contexts don't exactly lend them. So you have to think through how am I going to share the gospel as part of this endeavor we're doing. Yeah, that and that is that is a friction point, but I think there are the previous friction points about the actual implementation of it. I think as soon as we start talking about compassion ministries, and we can get into this a little bit, it, there is there are questions of how do I train? Mm-hmm. Where are we going to get the money? Uh, what about the logistics? What about liability? I mean, you you get into all sorts of things. Finding the needs, you know, what are the real needs, the pertinent needs? So there are a lot of questions that come up that are created with the original question. Before we even get to the God, so really, it yeah, it it's challenging from the get go. Yeah, I, so I've worked with pastors in this area before, and um, often have had a pastor, you know, meet me talking about well, how'd your event go. Well, you, you know, it it was okay, but I found out I really didn't get to share the gospel the way I'd laid the event out because they just really hadn't thought through. Well, is that really going to work? I mean, logistically. Even where am I going to get the gospel in there so people can hear? And, um, you know, that just has to be considered because it may affect. And, and look, there will be some things that are community building opportunities, you know, that that, you know, hey, I'm not going to get to share the gospel here, but I'm going to build a bridge so I can get to the gospel. It's maybe some pre evangelism work, you know, going on there. Um, but I think you have to address that. And what a great quote by Adrian. It can't be all social and no gospel. Right. You know, as long as you put both in there, I think you're doing well. Well, one of the pastors in the nation that is just leading out in this area is John Metter from First Baptist Euless, Texas, who has really got a fantastic compassion uh, ministry. Listen to what he shared with pastors at one of our Engage 24 conferences and the impact his church is making in this area of compassion ministries. So you've heard a little bit about three circles earlier, this is six stones. For some reason, these numbers are resonating, but today, as I talk about six stones, I, I want to kind of give you the picture of, of general community ministry, how how that will happen in different communities will be very different from what happened in the DFW area. The needs were different in Dallas-Fort Worth than maybe in your area. But what I want you to see is that the church plays the key role here. I want you to see that the church leads the way to compassion ministry. Nobody does compassion more than Jesus, right? Nobody knows compassion more than the God who became flesh and dwelt among us and, and the one who's a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been tested in all ways as we are yet without sin. And, and nobody can do that if the church can't do it well. And yet the problem is the church is not doing that well. 
And we made a key decision to do that. I want to show you one more little slide series here. And that slide series shows you just something about uh, what happened. What you saw was the year-end cap. But, but I want to show you something that was our annual report from this last year from the ministry called Six Stones. And I just want to see, show you what happens when people get on board when the church leads the way. We'll talk about how that, that happened. Um, over the last seven years, and that slide, next slide should show us that, um, since we've started Six Stones, it's almost eight years now, uh, we've, we've fed, fed 94,400 people wow. off our church campus, 94,000. Uh, 419 homeowners have had their homes rebuilt to some degree, uh, provided 16,000 kids with school supplies. That's the backpack stuff that you saw in the video. We gave away three or 4,000 last weekend. Uh, blessed 18,500 kids with uh, Christmas gifts, and invested, invested $7 million in our community. And I, this from a church that had policies that said we can't help non-church members, and all of a sudden things changed. It was a situation ripe for someone to lead the way, and I volunteered that many hours. The CPR thing is we go to homes and we rebuild homes that are, are broken down. The next slide will show you something about that. It's called community-powered revitalization. And in 2009, we just started with a, with a few volunteers. We started rebuilding. Now 164 churches and groups help us rebuild homes. It's really incredible how that begins to impact people's lives, but it really, really does. And uh, that's one aspect of it. Another is, aspect of, uh, is, of that is back to school where when kids go back to school, kids that are hurting have opportunities to come and get free backpacks fixed with supplies. And the school board gives us every single one of their names. So every child that comes over there is unchurched. Most of them are lost, never been in church before. They come to our property. They walk through our fellowship hall. They get a, a backpack handed to, us, uh, to them by our volunteers who are all trained in the gospel. Now that's a good deal. That's a sweet deal any way you look at it. That's what happened uh, this last year and, and how many have happened uh, over the course of several years. And then the Night of Hope is where we go to the schools and have a Christmas party where we tell the story of Christ and give gifts to the children that the school board gives us, the school system gives us, uh, children who are hurting financially and need help, that we're able to do that. New Hope Center is the next slide, and it says something about how we feed people. We collect food from the schools, we collect food from churches, and they come through Hope Center, New Hope Center. We share the gospel with them as they get um, their bags of groceries. We've now just finished out a grocery store part of that where they're actually given a basket, and they get to walk up and down the aisles, and a mom can pick it out just like she would at the grocery store and pay zero for it because our people are giving food for it. Now, they get the basket, the shopping basket, after they get to hear a presentation of the gospel. Now, I have to tell you that nobody's really reluctant to sit down and hear our messaging before we give them the food. They're happy to do that because they're going to get to feed their families. We're helping them feed their families. And what I didn't realize, what none of us realized, was that, that businesses and corporations want to come alongside you when you begin to create a network of churches and uh, other people to do that. And the next slide shows you the different businesses that have been helping us over the years. And I mean by the tune of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars given because they want to make a difference in the community. And then a map is the next piece of that slide, and it just kind of shows you uh, where and how wide all this ministry has begun to take place. And it just begins to spread outward. The church just began to spread outward in so many different ways. <laughs> it's hard to almost absorb everything John is saying they're doing in, in, in a church. And I, I love this, what he said. 
He said, we're doing all this at a church that had a rule that you could only help church members. So John goes to First Eulis, and it's in their bylaws that you could only do compassion ministry to people who were members of your church. Not a very outward-thinking model. No, uh, not at all. Not at all. If anything, it's it's you know it's it's one of those things where we're constantly having to decide. You know, are we going to be a fisher of men or a keeper of the aquarium, as yeah. has been said before? And that's very much an aquarium activity. Very much. So he, he said some things and talked about some ideas. He said the church ought to lead the way in compassion ministries. I think for a long time we've let the government and and some other not-for-profit lead in, you know entities lead the way in compassion ministries when really the church ought to step in there and be the forerunner in it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've excused ourselves. It's been easy, you know, since since government has taken over so many of the activities uh, that really the church used to be solely responsible for as, ta- as far as an organized effort. We've kind of excused ourselves, um, both corporately, I think, and, and individually, which is sad. Scott, I know you're doing in Georgia, um, uh, what are you calling it, a semic not a seminar, but a teleclass. Teleclass, teleclass yeah. coming up. <laughs> and what what's the quote you put on there about a tornado? Oh going? yeah, <laughs> well uh, yeah, it's kind of a lead in. It was uh, a, a newspaper article read. Uh, we are happy to report that the tornado that blew down the Baptist church last week has done no real damage to the town. <laughs> <laughs> so John's coming along and saying. No, if a tornado blew down our church, we want our town to grieve. Exactly. Uh, not because that's where they went to church, but because of the compassion and the ministry that we were doing uh, in the community. Yeah. Big different mindset there. Yeah, what does that look like? You know, I was talking to Ike Reichert of Piedmont lately, and, and so that, he's going to be on our teleclass, actually. But, uh, you know, he mentioned, you know, Cobb County schools have as many as 1,500 kids that are classified as homeless. Mm. 1,500 kids. The church ought to know that number, mm-hmm. and the and the school system is scrambling to figure out how do we make sure these kids have food between lunch on Monday and lunch on Tuesday, and so the church is uh, not only the church does not only need to know that number, but of all people, we need to have a plan to meet that need and see that as an opportunity to reach a whole lot of kids with the gospel. If you could imagine the um, the resistance to a church coming in and sharing the gospel is going to be minimal when you're standing there with yeah. bags of food to feed these kids that they don't know what to do with. Yep. Uh, again, you know, we're always looking for ways to get into the gospel, get the gospel in. We're frustrated that schools won't let us lead assemblies anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, compassion ministry is the way in to a lot of places. Sure is. I, Tim Dowdy spoke in Engage 24, and I think, I don't want to misquote the stat, but here's what I think he said, that in the state of Georgia there were 15,000 kids in foster care, and more, 50% of those were under the age of five. That mm. the church could eradicate that need uh, themselves if we stepped into that ministry. Point being, if you find a need like that, even if it's the government that has the need, they will open the door for you to step in and, and, and help solve that problem. And and John Metter talked about it. $94,000 in federal funding they've gotten for their uh, six stones. Um, you know, they've poured $7 million worth of work into the community, giving away backpacks, Night of Hope Christmas party. What a great line. You just alluded to it, but feeding people, nobody's reluctant to hear the message when you're feeding them. Yeah. You know, and model of Jesus. I mean, he fed them and preached the gospel to them. And I just think it's important for a church. Now, there are a lot of churches out there saying, well, 
it's easy for six stones. It's this huge, and it, it wasn't as big as you think it was when he first started that ministry. We have this small church, uh, but keep in mind that even when we did the research among smaller churches, uh, top evangelistic churches, regardless of size, was still involved. Churches under 249 still had some kind of community food bank or food bank they were participating in, and they were helping meet basic needs in the community. I think the point is start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, adopt five needy kids in the area. I don't mean literally adopt, obviously. Say, you know, we're going to put, we're going to start a feeding program. We're going to do it this way. We'll start with five kids or we'll start with three, three families or we'll, whatever. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, and this is another aspect of this, is that n- non church entities get involved, specifically local businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing that more and more with the churches that, are, that have gotten good at this, that are reaching a lot of people, top baptizing churches and especially here in in the state of Georgia, um, they find that if they'll just kind of turn the ignition of the program, mm-hmm. uh, that other non-church entities with bigger budgets in some case for this sort of thing will come on board because they want to be involved. They want to be a business who can say that they're having a compassion ministry as a part of their business, and they'll begin to sponsor some of these programs and, and with no strings and give to some of these uh, programs. So, so it takes the heat off, the pressure off your budget. Well, and what John said was he discovered that the government and businesses have the money that they are actually required to pull pour into the community. They don't have the volunteer base. It, yes. The churches have the volunteer base, but no money to put into it. And so if you'll be the vehicle by which the whole community can serve the community, that's what I always say, be the, be the vehicle by which the entire community can serve the community. They'll pour dollars into your uh, efforts because they want to give back as well. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you have a businessman in your church, he knows other businessmen. And a lot of those businesses are looking for, uh, uh, you know, a 501c3 organization that they can give end of the year gifts to that are going to specifically pour it back into the community. And especially giving a little word of mouth advertising and all that along the way. And be that vehicle that people can pour into and start somewhere and start by asking someone, you know, what is the need we can meet in our community? It doesn't have to be the mayor. You know, it, that's great if it is. It doesn't have to be the city plan. I mean, all that's great. You can go to DFAX and ask a question, how can we serve in this area? And trust me, there is always, always a need you can meet in that context. Absolutely. But your most obvious list may be the best one. It may start with the school principal and that's the mayor, right. uh, especially in a smaller town. So, Well, and I tell the story, uh, you know, a church I pastored once, we, we were going to help the local schools, and we were thinking about, well, we're going to paint, you know. So I got the principal in my office and said, hey, what can we do to serve, thinking we're going to buy some gym equipment. And she said, well, I need help feeding hungry children. And I was like, well, wait, there are no hungry children in our area. She's like, oh, yeah, we – there are children that the last meal they eat is on Friday at lunch, and they don't eat again until Monday morning breakfast at the school serves. Right. Parents, you know, uh, drug issues, alcohol issues, that kind of thing. That, and that's a great point. Don't come with an idea. Come asking questions. Yeah, that's exactly right, because I would have done the wrong. She would have let me paint her school all the while wishing we were we were helping her feed hungry children. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit much bigger impact and a much better thank you, by the way, uh, when you meet the need that they have, and it may, it's, it, I'm, I'm be honest, it's easy to raise money for hungry children. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be trite with that statement, but I mean, I got in front of my church and said, "Hey, I've committed us to feeding uh, hungry children uh, for a year, 
and uh, I'll personally write the check if you don't give it, but I committed this much and an impromptu offering and we took up twice what we needed, you know, because people, you know, middle class America doesn't really, is not really aware of that hungry child issue going on. But all that came about just from asking someone a question, adopt a school, adopt an area, adopt a neighborhood. Uh, Ken Witten talks about, they have uh, small groups adopt a block. You know, you adopt a block and you do ministry in that block. And, man, it's it's life-changing for the church. Hey, if you want to find out more about Compassion Ministries, NAM has a great Compassion Ministry emphasis called Sin Relief. So you can go to the North American Mission Board website, click on Sin Relief, and there you can be directed to all kinds of resources and help on how your church uh, can be involved in your local community. So if you have a question about evangelism, thanks for listening sure to, to Your Church on Mission Evangelism Podcast. To find out more about and leading your church on mission, be sure and check out the blog www.namb.net forward slash Your Church on Mission. To send in a comment or question, email it to evangelism at namb.net. <laughs>